It's Cookie Lab. Hi, and welcome to Cookie Lab. I'm Jill. And I'm Chris. Welcome to not only Cookie Lab, but the Cookie Lab month of chocolate chip cookies. It's a chocolate chip cookie extravaganza for this whole month. We are all chocolate chip cookies all the time. As it should be. Right. Because as my father says, there's no use eating a cookie unless it's a chocolate chip cookie. So George, this one's for you. This month's for you. Stay tuned for more excitement and adventure as we explore the variety of chocolate chip cookies that are available in the universe. That actually, we don't actually have enough time for that. <laughs> but we're going to try to cover the basics. Okay. All right. Set your expectations low and we will exceed them. It's a good philosophy. All right. So the first cookie that we're going to tackle today is the classic Toll House cookie that I baked with the recipe on the back of the Nestle Chocolate Morsels package. Well, that's fascinating because as our regular listeners know we do all of our cookies gluten-free and one of the first things that I worried about when I was diagnosed celiac was would I ever be able to eat a good chocolate chip cookie again and I just assumed that you could not use the recipe on the back of the Nestle semi-sweet chocolate chips to create a gluten-free chocolate chip cookie. But what you're telling me is that you just used that recipe straightforward and made a gluten-free chocolate chip cookie. That's right. As we always do on Cookie Lab, I simply substituted the flour that is called for with a one-to-one gluten-free flour. This one was a Bob's Red Mill package that I had. And I know you were worried about that, but I think that you have, have had success um, the people in my family who have celiac disease have not and are still looking for the ideal chocolate chip cookie recipe. So maybe we'll be able to help them and the listeners and right. talk about some science and history along the way. That's my hope. That's my hope is that at the end of this month, our listeners will have one, if not more, what we think are acceptable or outstanding chocolate chip cookies. And so we're going to start with the standard Toll House cookie. But Jill, why is the recipe for Toll House cookies on the Nestle's package? Well, Chris, as you may know, what I've heard is that the gal who invented the Toll House chocolate chip cookie in Whitman, Massachusetts, some, some time ago, and we can look up that date eventually sold the recipe to Nestle for a dollar in exchange for a lifetime supply of chocolate and for her recipe to be printed on the back of the package. Really? I knew that she had some arrangement with the Nestle's people. That's what I heard. This, there's a lot of lore. And you say a dollar. So, so the cookie originated at the Toll House restaurant in Whitman, Massachusetts, right? Yes, and some people believe 
that it was an accident and other people believe that this lady who we should get her name for posterity's sake her name is ruth wakefield ruth wakefield was was an accomplished baker and would not have made something by mistake she would have researched and experimented and created this delicious classic timeless super popular thing on purpose right they say people say like she, she had run out of baker's something, chocolate. cocoa. Yeah. Yeah. She was trying tried, to make like a chocolate cookie. Like the base of the cookie, the dough would have been chocolate. Right. Exactly. So she chopped up this semi sweet chocolate and it ended up having chunks instead of turning the dough chocolate and it turned out to be the best thing ever. Yep. Exactly. And she also had nuts in them, I believe. And it does say on the package that you can put walnuts in it, but some people are really alarmed by nuts in their food, like my spouse. So. Even though he likes nuts separately, he believes that that is space in the cookie taken up by a nut when there could be more cookie there. Oh, that's a good philosophy. I just don't like the nut. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like pecans. If you're going to put a nut in the chocolate chip cookie, I prefer pecans. Good to know. Yeah. And as you said, Ruth Wakefield was an experienced baker. She was a former dietitian. And she was a food lecturer with a passion for quality cooking. Right. So the image of like just kind of like a harried woman with like flour on her forehead, desperately attempting to solve a problem and coming up with them. I feel it devalues her experience. Hi, and welcome to Feminist Lab. I'm Jill. (laughs) I can't find, though, how much Nestle's paid her. I do know that her recipe was first published in a Boston newspaper and she also published it in 1936 herself in her cookbook Toll House Tried and True Recipes. You know that you often have with a a restaurant, right? And then in uh, 1939 the Nestle's company started selling chocolate bits in their own bags, called them morsels, and published the recipe with her permission on the bag. So it's probably apocryphal that she got a, a dollar, but... And a lifetime supply of chocolate. She probably negotiated something with them. Right, because she's probably a smart woman and not going to give away her best thing that she ever invented for a dollar. Right. And if any of our listeners have more history on this uh, or happen to be a relative of Ruth Wakefield here in the Massachusetts area, yeah, send us an email. Drop us a line. We, we're always yeah, happy to cookie, hear from cookie you. CookieLabPod at gmail.com is our email. And so I think we should taste this cookie because... It is sitting in front of me, begging. Taunting you. But, I mean, there's so much more we could talk about, Chris. We could oh, talk tell about, me. Do you, well, do you like to eat the raw dough? Do you like them when they're hot out of the oven? Do you like them when they're more crispy later on? I think you like them frozen. Is so, that true? So our standards for cookies. Well, first of all, eating cookies. I've got bread. a glass of milk here to enjoy with the cookie. Mm, our standards for cookies. So, yeah, a lot of people are totally grossed out by eating the raw cookie dough. I I don't I, know anybody who's grossed out by that. Oh, I live with somebody who is. And okay. you, both you and I have our own hens and probably yes, so used... we're reasonably certain that the eggs which we collected this morning are 
fresh. Yes, and there is a chance of salmonella on the eggshell, but I do wipe my eggshells off. I also have a pet turtle who lives in my dining room, and he also is supposedly a source of salmonella. So we wash our hands after we play with our pet turtle. Yeah, and collect our eggs. And so Mm -hmm. I do taste the cookie dough, and one of the things that a lot of people do are they freeze any of the cookie doughs that they make in cookie ball sizes and those by the way make a magnificent treat themselves just frozen frozen ball of dough yeah as far as what i'm looking for in a cookie i like mine soft and chewy rather than the cakey cookies i would rather not eat a chocolate chip cookie if it were cakey i'm an equal opportunity chocolate chip cookie consumer okay i don't like them crispy except around the edges And I do. I do like them frozen. It's a little unusual. Well, I immediately freeze my chocolate chip cookies to preserve them. And I've made some gluten-free chocolate chip cookies that were so thin and didn't stay together very well that they had to be frozen in order to eat them. But as a Uh child child growing up before I was celiac, we always froze our chocolate chip cookies to... Okay, so that's just something that you guys are used to. And I like them. I like them frozen. Yeah. How about you? Do you have any standards for chocolate chip cookies? None except to say that I do think that this original Toll House cookie recipe is like the baseline by which all other cookies are judged. Okay. Let's judge the baseline then. No, I think I'm going to make you wait even more because okay. I just want you to know that I just I just pulled up Ruth Wakefield's Wikipedia page and it says that Wakefield gave Nestle the right to use her cookie recipe in the Toll House name for $1 and a lifetime supply of Nestle chocolate. Now we know that Wikipedia isn't necessarily true and maybe we need to review that further. The citation is from... A book called The Great American Chocolate Chip Cookie Book, Scrumptious Recipes and Fabled History from Toll House to Cookie Cake Pie, written by Carolyn Wyman in 2013. That's pretty recent, so that could be true. Okay. I will torture you no further. Let's eat the cookie. Okay, here we go. Toll House Cookie. Chocolate Chip Cookie, number one for the first week. It is... Mmm. It's so good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dunk it a little bit in my milk. It is soft, chewy, a little crispy on the bottom, cooked to perfection. It has a nice, a nice rise to it. When I look inside of it, I can see pockets of air bubbles. It has risen just a little bit, which is great. I have no complaints about it. I would say this is uh, this is as good as I'm going to be able to do. <laughs> and I get 1.7 chocolate chips in each bite. Per bite? Is that the appropriate ratio? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1.7. Taking a little drink to cleanse my palate. Good cookie. Love the Toll House cookie. I am so happy that one can make a Toll House cookie with gluten-free flour for some reason i always assumed you couldn't well i'm really glad that you can because it's um the yummiest the yummiest thing out there and we wouldn't want to deny anybody that however chris Mm. we're eating this cookie we're on the podcast a lot of times on the podcast when we're eating the cookies we are like exclaiming and marveling and this just seems like, yep, yep, 
Toll House chocolate chip cookie. It's not blowing anybody's mind. Do you think that's because we're so familiar with it? Perhaps. Yeah, how could our mind be blown by the cookie we've been eating since birth? Right, exactly. It is the standard by which all other cookies are judged, I think. So, you know. But not mind-blowing in its own right. It is such a satisfying cookie. It is like what cookies should be. I don't know. I'm kind of... So, listeners, when we discussed what we would be doing for Chocolate Chip Cookie Month, Chris, I don't even think you were necessarily planning on on making or eating this cookie at all. Oh, sure. And I, I was like, we must. This is number one, right? It was always in my mind that we would have okay. the Toll House cookie in here. Okay. I was convinced it would be a failure. This time or before, or long ago? You thought this was going to be a failure? In the planning. Yeah, I didn't think you could make a gluten-free Toll House cookie. So you haven't tried it? No, never. Well, now my mind is blown. <laughs> I just assumed, you know, because I looked up uh, gluten-free chocolate chip cookies and there were like 12 recipes out there on the internet and none of them said, just use the Toll House cookie bag. (laughs) Well, I'm curious to see what we find out with future recipes, but I have a science question for you. Oh, well, I hope that it matches the science science questions that I've prepared. Uh, Well, (laughs) I'll just tell you what happened when I baked the cookie. When I baked the cookie. Yes. My brown sugar was a hardened lump that I had to scrape, and it occurred to me that that never happens to the white sugar, and I was wondering if you knew why the brown sugar turns into a rock, and why you're supposed to put like a little clay teddy bear in there so that doesn't happen, and how all that works. You're making a face like you don't know what I'm talking about. No, I know exactly what you're talking about, because I just found a bag of brown sugar when I was making my cookies that was rather old. The entire bag was like a brick. Yeah. That's because brown sugar is is granulated sugar that is coated in molasses. Well, it's it isn't the isn't it all brown to begin with and the white sugar is has had the molasses removed or are you saying brown sugar is like white sugar that they put molasses in? So Jill, yes, Chris. You can get two types of brown sugar. I haven't done enough research to find out if we the consumer get a choice, but you know white sugar is produced through a purifying process and sugar starts out as you said, brown, and the purifying process removes what we also know as molasses. Mm -hmm. Some of the brown sugar that you get is just less processed, but I think the most common brown sugar that we buy for baking is produced by mixing white sugar with molasses. So they remove the molasses from the white sugar and then put the molasses in it to make it brown again? Yeah. Come on. But what I what I am quite sure of is that when brown sugar is fresh, the molasses makes the sugar crystals slip easily over each other mm-hmm. and the brown sugar is soft and malleable and it feels thicker, right? Or mm-hmm. more, you can compact it a lot you easier. You pack it, exactly. And that's the beca- white sugar doesn't pack, yeah. And that's because there's a lot of moisture. However, once the moisture is allowed to evaporate, the molasses dries out. And you know, molasses will, if you've ever left molasses out, it just gets stickier and stickier and stickier and it hardens. And that's what happens. It's like sludge. Right. 
And so that's what is happening to the brown sugar. So I've read that you could put a slice of bread. You can. Apples, marshmallows. Sure. Or um, there is something called a brown sugar bear. Mm -hmm. We have a maple leaf, Mm -hmm. uh, a a piece of terracotta Mm -hmm. that will absorb a lot of water. But keep it in the container. And then you put it in your brown sugar. Mm-hmm. And it keeps the humidity level correct mm-hmm. in your container. The bread works beautifully. That's what I used on my when I had an entire bag. I took two pieces of gluten-free bread and I slid them inside the bag on either side. And the next day, the entire bag was malleable and soft and just like 100% regular brown sugar. Really? Yeah. The bread like brought it back to... Hydration. Moistness. Yeah. And the bread doesn't have any flavor that it gives the brown sugar. So like if you put pieces of apple in there. Yeah, it, that might change a li- the little change change of flavor. But um, yeah, so there's a little science tidbit for the cookie lab to go with. And was there a science tidbit that you had meant to talk about before I derailed you with my brown sugar question? I thought what you were going to ask me was why do the chocolate chips stay chocolate chip form i can answer that i can try to answer that you can you're going to do the science do you want me to try all right let's hear it it's a role reversal for chocolate chip cookie month oh my gosh the pressure is on it's my understanding that the chocolate morsels do in fact melt Mm -hmm. but because the dough keeps them in their place Mm -hmm. it retains the shape just because it's inside a thick sturdy matrix of the dough oh yes that's true that is true Yay! (laughs) that's wonderful isn't that cool i have a little bit more detail for you though please share chocolate chips are specifically made nowadays to better retain their shape than they were when Gail Borden made these cookies. No, no, no. (laughs) Food scientist. Oh, right. That's right. (laughs) Food scientist Ruth Wakefield made these cookies. You know, the thing that really makes uh, chocolate melt is heat. Which we subject our cookies to in the oven. I love it. Yes. And the... And the oven is just like this little scientific lab where at all these different temperatures, different things a lab within a lab. happen. And the key ingredient in chocolate is cocoa butter. Cocoa butter is a type of pure vegetable fat with a melting point of 93 to 101 degrees Fahrenheit. These cookies are baked at 375 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's got to melt right mm-hmm. has to melt so the less cocoa butter that you have in chocolate chips it results in a higher melting point mm-hmm. so the chocolate chip manufacturers and you'll notice that some not all chocolate chips are equal and some no no i know some melt more than others some take taste kind of waxy and some just have a subpar chocolate to them but they're different textures because they have different ingredients And the semi-sweet chocolate chip is a chip that today melts at 115 to 120 degrees. A, because it has a lower amount of cocoa butter in it. 
and it has something called soy lectin. Which I've seen on a lot of food packages. Right. Jill, it's one of our favorite things. It's an emulsifier. It's a, it's a colloid. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's an emulsifier. So mm, We learned about that. It's a chemical that... Mixes two other things together that otherwise don't want to get together. Exactly. So salad dressings often have soy lectin in them to keep them mixed. Is that how you pronounce it? That's how I do. How do you... How do you I don't know. It's one of those words. You know how you read a word and you've never heard it out loud, so you make something up in your head that turns out to be completely lessithin, wrong. Lessithin? Yeah. Lessithin? Less Maybe that's it. <laughs> so so I don't know. So it is, the cool thing about it is it is a fat that's derived from soybeans. It's actually a byproduct, which is soybean oil manufacturing process. So it's really cheap. And the main purpose of adding this to chocolate is to lower its viscosity so it can be poured into molds, it can be tempered easily, it can be poured into different shapes. Put into your car's engine. (laughs) No, don't do that. And the same result happens with adding more cocoa butter. That also lowers the viscosity of the chocolate listeners viscosity is a resistance to flow right so lowering the viscosity means it will just be more puddly yes exactly it will ooze out faster yep but cocoa butter is more expensive than soy lectin so they use that and it also has the amazing property of having a melting point of 456 degrees Fahrenheit. You would need an inferno in your kitchen to melt soil like thin. Yes. So there's so little of it used in your chocolate chips. Just it's a minuscule amount. It's like it's way less than a percent of the all, all of the ingredients. But it rises that temperature just enough so that the chocolate chip will keep its form just a little bit better. And it also makes chocolate chips a terrible chip for making chocolate sauces. Mm-hmm. So. Harder to melt them, yeah. There's so much science in chocolate chips. Brown sugar, the chocolate chip itself. There's great history. And they're yummy. And you're getting a whole month of them. Because next week, we are going to visit the self-proclaimed world's best gluten-free cookie and we're going to try to remember how good what this one tasted this one like and how the next one stands up well chris until then keep your paws off my cookies oh you keep your paws off my cookies and we will hurry back with the next episode sounds like a plan all right bye bye It's Cookie Lab.